And now, a presentation on the Mental Health News Radio Network. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. You are the power, and you do not need anybody's permission. He's the only guy that ever crawled out of a grave where people didn't go, oh, ah! Don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride. You're, you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Out of Limits of the Truth Radio Show. OutofLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Tonight, our focus of attention is on near-death experiences. Our featured guest has researched over 4,000 cases He's going to talk about some of the cases that have stood out. I also ask our future guest questions about if there are any future events that we should be aware of. I focus here because I'm always looking for the answers. I don't care where they are. I'm desperately trying to get an idea of what's happening now and things that people can do, things that we can do to empower ourselves. Let us begin. It is a great pleasure to welcome back to the program Dr. Jeffrey Long. He's a doctor specializing in the practice of radiation oncology using radiation to treat cancer. And he's also founder of the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. Learn more about Dr. Long by going to his website at nderf.org. And if you've heard the death show you know that not only was Dr. Long featured in one on one interview, but he also was my tag team partner in our debate with the atheists, and we haven't looked back since. Dr. Long, welcome back to our show. <laughs> oh, Ryan, it's such a pleasure to be back here. Uh, we've got lots to talk about here, and uh, looking forward to it. Thank you. Well, one of the things I love about your site is you go to an nderf.org, and you go to the most updated near-death experiences, so you see them coming in as early as July 22nd, people talking about what they've seen, and they're like direct to the point. So based on your research, is there any particular type of trend that you are seeing in the past year, or in the past months? Are people coming back with any messages that are relevant towards today? They're coming back with the same kind of messages relevant for today, relevant for all of us, uh, as they have from the very dawn of that website. We started gathering near-death experiences and posting the accounts 20 years ago. So I think what we're seeing now is more people are willing to share shortly after the experience occurred. Uh, people so know about near-death experience and they hear about it from other people when they share it. They, they just don't have that stigma. There's an increasing acceptance that they are real, both among people, the public, and, and certainly among the healthcare team, too. So people have them. They sh uh, share them within weeks to months far more often than they did 10 or 20 years ago. And are there any exceptional near-death experience cases that really stick in your mind that maybe offer another huge piece of the puzzle? Because I guess people have different types I believe I had a near-death experience one time, and it wasn't. I think I got to this place where everything was black, and I was I was in like this void, but I never saw anything visual. But I knew I was out of my body. It was kind of strange. So I, yeah, that's well. Thanks for sharing that, Ryan. This uh, there's a, a, 
a great variety of near-death experiences in terms of how detailed they are. As far as some of the more exceptional ones where I think you could really learn, one of the more dramatic ever shared with me was a lady who was born totally blind. And, of course, to her, vision was unknown and unknowable. She just simply had never had a life experience with it. So she had a person driving her home from her singing stint in a bar one night who had had too much to drink. And so he got into a very bad auto accident, and she was injured severely. And for the first time in her life, Vicki saw herself from a perspective over her body on the gurney in the emergency room, and, and she was frightened. Vision was so unfamiliar to her. It was only after she recognized what she was seeing and correlated it with the feeling of her own long hair and, interestingly, a ring that her father had given her, she realized that was her. And she went on to describe a stunningly detailed and highly visual near-death experience, which is profound evidence that near-death experiences absolutely cannot be due to physical brain function, as is known. That's really wonderful. And a lot of these, are they're so peaceful. And it doesn't matter where they're, they're coming from, man. They're just really hopeful. One thing I'm wondering is... I, and, you know, that's, hey, Ryan, that's a good point. The two most common, about the two most common words used to describe a near-death experience are peace and a sense of profound love. I mean, isn't that amazing when you yeah. think about it? Here you are gripping with a life-threatening event, you know, horrifying, and all of a sudden, boom, you're having peace like nothing you've known on Earth. A profound sense of love uh, surrounds you. I mean, that's just further evidence that, that there's something unearthly going on and yet so consistently observed in near-death experiences. Yeah, I appreciate bringing that up. One of the people we've had on our show, we've had her on 10 times, is Nancy Dannison, and I always love yeah. her did near-death experience. But, and she talks about this idea that we are not human. We are spirits occupying human bodies, and this is one of many types of incarnations. Based on some of the near-death experiences in the case studies that you've come across, do you kind of get a sense that some people have gone beyond the experience of being a human, that the illusion of being a human has melted away based on how they are discussing or talking about an experience based on what was relevant to them? Do you find that some people have these near-death experiences while still retaining their humanity and some have these near-death experiences while allowing that part of themselves to melt away because maybe they've been there longer or they've been in the afterlife longer. Oh, Ryan, hundreds and hundreds of folks have shared their near-death experiences with me in which they've gone into these unearthly realms. I mean, they still have some awareness of who they are as an individual, and yet they're in a completely unearthly different realm. I mean, they're really, as they put it, and often very adamantly, put it when they share their experience later, they've returned to their real home. They realize Earth wasn't their real home. They realize exactly what you just said there, that we're humans having a human experience, but in reality, uh, we're all humans that, that uh, are spiritual beings, and that's near-death experiences seem to be a profound and consistently observed glimpse into what lies beyond. And certainly this, you see these in the more detailed experiences, but we see that over and over and over. I mean, they're still they're still the person, but they're in a realm seeing, under, hear, understanding, uh, processing information far faster than they ever could on Earth. Interesting. And I've had this experience. Well, I just had a son born, and some people are telling me, well, he's he's not from here. He's from somewhere else. But 
Like no, he's he's from a he's from a different place, and uh, my friends that are sensitive, they keep on telling me some of the same things. I don't know how they pick it up on it, but they they keep on telling me a couple things about him. When you've interviewed people that have had near death experiences, do you ever get a sense that they ever revealed to you that they've come from a different place, like a different part of the galaxy? That um, you know, even though they, we consider the quote unquote, there's an afterlife, there's a place where all spirits go, but they are their previous lifetimes have been from somewhere else. Do they ever discuss their previous lifetimes? Right, and that's we see that very uncommonly. But we do, of course, by the time I've studied four thousand near death experiences, we have quite a few of these accounts where they're aware of their prior lives, and most of the time, their awareness of prior lives are prior earthly lives. Uh, and they can go back centuries to even millennia. And uncommonly, but still existing, they have a sense that they were alive, but on a different planet, that they're aware that it was uh, clearly unearthly in, in how they appeared, how they thought. Uh, these are very dramatic near-death experiences and certainly some significant evidence that there really is life beyond what we know on Earth. And have you ever noticed or do you get a sense that some of these people are talking about future events on Earth? Because one of the reasons why I really do want to focus on people who've had near-death experiences is because I want to get that sense of perception that is beyond the matrix of control, the information matrix of control of the world that we are living in, where I think our world and the human body, I think that the body and the mind can be hijacked, they can be manipulated, people can tell you things, they can show you visual images, they can get you locked in, but when you are out of the body, it feels like you have that total freedom and you've got access to information and a perception of reality that no one else can take from you or can manipulate from you. So that being said, are there any types of future messages or messages about the future coming that you're getting from some people? Uh, yeah, good, great said, question, oh, Ryan. Thank you. One of the more common future visions, if you will, or awareness of the future that we see in near-death experiences happens, and we have a pretty good-sized series of these types of experiences. They're near the end of their near-death experience, and they're involved in a decision about returning to their earthly body or staying in this unearthly, often called heavenly realm. And the other beings around them will either be encouraging them to return to their earthly body or flat-out giving them a choice. And sometimes at this point in time, to the beings around the person having the near-death experience will encourage them to return to their earthly body by showing them a vision of what will happen in the days to a week or so after they die if they don't return to their physical body. And that's typically a vision of the funerals, the profound sadness of the uh, people, the friends, family, and the loved one, how it affects them, typically uh, the adverse effects that it can have. Uh, at other times they're shown that quote, the family will be okay, unquote, if they're gone. But these are some gripping visions. For example, there's one near-death experience I recall where they were shown their own funeral, and here were their uh, nephews, little two-year-old nephews, just sort of giggling and laughing while they were at the funeral, being so young they didn't realize how the, the devastation and the loss that everybody else was mourning at the funeral. So these are some of the more common future visions. Um, future visions seen at like that, and of course they, that's usually very convincing to the person having the near-death experience to return to their earthly life. Um, it, it, it's a fascinating subject to see if there's future visions that actually bring back important, especially actionable information 
um, that's a little bit murky. The future doesn't seem to be fixed, and and you don't really know for sure that some of the especially far distant future visions may be alterable by decisions we all make today. Okay, I was wondering if there's ever going to be some kind of uh, inclination of if um, well, is there anything that they've ever said anything in the past? Like, do you ever? you come across somebody near that experience that actually talked about what life was on earth for humanity like or a previous event where humanity went through a cycle where it became destroyed because one thing i'm trying oh, to put together is to see if like this yeah yeah and that's a really good point because there, there some of these future visions are are uh eerily accurate and yet i don't recall any future visions sometimes there can be some apocalyptic future visions, uh, and yet you expect eventually you're going to have flooding, earthquakes, um, massive events in the, that, that affect the entire Earth, but, you know, that's going to happen sooner or later. It's a matter of when, not if. But as far as, you know, cyber invasions, I haven't, don't recall a single near-death experience talking about that. That doesn't mean it, it isn't going to happen. It just means that they haven't been shown that information in their near-death experience. Okay, and... When people are recalling to you their experiences, when they're talking about it, is there any particular trend in terms of how they are accessing this information? Are they feeling it? Are they feeling their experience and saying, I felt this? Is it dominated by visualizations? Is it auditory? What are some of the uh, most common ways that people do recall this information? Yeah, that's a great question, Ryan. When people share their near-death experience, it's typically their eyes light up. Uh, they may kind of stumbled around a little bit about what they did, or you know, a couple of weeks ago, but they remember verbatim exactly with the near-death experience. So they're very comfortable talking about that because of the sharpness and vividness of what they remember, even if it occurred years to decades previously. So immediately, you pick up on that. Their mood seems to be increased because, again. Typically, these are near-death experiences that involve overwhelming senses of peace, love, if you will, a reunion to where they say, wow, this was my real home, and certainly reassurance that there's life after death, not because they were told so or hoped so, but because they personally experienced what lies after the veil of death. And so you really see very commonly this type of, of change in mood, positivity, vividness, uh, especially for those that have shared this with a few people, they are very fluent in sharing this, even more so than, than other mundane earthly life events that you might ask them about. But that's a very common pattern with near-death experience, all kind of pointing to the fact that, hey, these people experience something real. Just one more line of the evidence. And you have this best-selling book that came out, Evidence of the Afterlife, the Science of Near-Death Experiences. It currently enjoys a five-star review on Amazon, 521 people reviewing it. So obviously yeah. it's, it's struck a nerve, so that's fantastic. When people share their experiences with you, do they ever tell you that once they got to the afterlife, that where they were, because they're in eternity, and because we have this idea that, okay, the time stops, that they are at their peak evolution. They are not going to change. They're in a state of constant bliss. Or do you ever get the sense or idea or inclination that while they are there, the longer that they are there, as we perceive in linear time, the more they are going to grow, the more they are going to evolve. And I know this is another, this is probably a three-part question, but 
as you've talked to these people, the ones that have had these longer experiences, do you ever get the sense or feeling or inclination that they are merging themselves and losing a piece of themselves and merging into one big collective light or one big prime consciousness? Yeah, great questions. Thank well, you. first of all, you, you nailed it there. There almost uniformly is the near-death experiencers noting there's no time, or certainly time is radically different from that on Earth. That is almost uniformly observed in near-death experiences. Um, for example, they may review their whole life during the minutes they're unconscious, and that's absolutely impossible during time, as we know, on Earth. But very often they have a sense of uh, merging or becoming one with the whole. And that's another very common thing that they describe, in the, especially in the more detailed near-death experiences. They, they feel they're one of something greater. Some call it God, the all, the one. Uh, there just don't seem to be earthly terms for this uh, overwhelmingly loving presence, often described as light, often described as a sense of peace, often described as a sense of uh, just something profound emotions off the scale in a very positive sense. And we see that in the detailed near-death experiences. Um, and, and it seems to be perhaps a part of our purpose, maybe the end point of what it's all about is sort of return from where they came from. And they have a sense that this isn't something that's new. This is sort of like, this is where I came from. I then came to earth and now I'm returning literally home. And this is an important part of home. They don't lose their identity. They're not subsumed or lose their individual characteristics, who they are, what they are, all their life experiences. They're just simply part of, and actually the most commonly word used is unity. They're unified with something even greater. Uh, and that's a very positive part of near-death experiences when it occurs. I'm just curious, like why, why we, what's the purpose of, of life or even having this type of pain? I always wonder, you know, what am I doing freaking out worried about being in a human body? I don't understand why. I mean, because if we come from this wonderful place and it's home, it's blissful. Why come here? I mean, why? I'm the type of person, Doctor Long, where I don't like. I didn't like to leave my house even before the pandemic. I was happy staying at home. I don't like going out, yeah. and I can't wait to go home. So that's what I'm thinking. Like, well, what's up with the 7.5 billion people that decided to leave home? Well, is something wrong with us? Why would we leave home? It's happy there. It's blissful. Like, it's light. It's peaceful. Grandma's there. Your dogs are all there. Everyone you knew that dead is there. Well, why would you leave and come here, you know, with, with this? I don't know. Yeah, it, for, for, yeah that, and that's a great question. There seems to be when people have near-death experiences and there's a sense that they're back home, they typically have a sense that it was a choice of theirs to come and live their earthly life. So, hey, Ryan, for billions of people to all make that decision to come down here for earthly life and live down here apart from that uh, unearthly heavenly bliss i don't think we're all wrong <laughs> i think it's probably a very i, I hope we're not i said but I, I really believe and and you, you get a sense from that and, and from many people that had a near-death experience that our earthly life absolutely is that important and that profoundly important and full of purpose that people would literally leave that heaven you know, for a, quote, short period of time, unquote, given that time doesn't exist on the other side. But it seems to be important here to learn lessons that you can't learn anywhere else. You can't learn when you're in that unearthly, heavenly realm. Um, you can't really learn what it's like to live a life, to exist, to make decisions, to grow, when you don't have that overwhelming, profound, ongoing sense of peace and love and unity with something greater. 
Uh, it seems to be something that is difficult. It's maybe like the boot camp, I've heard people say, of our spiritual existence. And and yet, it's while it's difficult, and, and for, I think for everybody on Earth, it's certainly difficult to some extent, probably a lot more than it's easy. And yet, there seems to it seems to be important. It seems to be something that we need to know. We can grow from it. We can learn from it. And I think we can... Uh, be even more as spiritual beings after our earthly life for our experiences here. And we can carry, uh, for people that have had a near-death experience, or if you are or have that sense or awareness or desire to sort of emulate that heavenly, peaceful existence, it's almost like the bringing back a piece of heaven on earth. And I think that certain awareness, that loving compassion that is so rampant on the other side in that heaven you bring back a piece of that love and compassion in our earthly life, you're really making the earth a better place. You <laughs> you die, you go to heaven, you see God. And my uh-huh. understanding is that God is the end-all, be-all. That is the prime being, the prime consciousness. It is the peak of evolution. So that being said, if that is, a, that is true, what is the purpose of having all these experiences if you're going to return to a place that's already at peak evolution, I mean, how does God evolve any more than God already is at this point? Yeah, and that's a great question. Yeah. And the most immediate thing I would say is I really don't have the answer to that. That's, uh, you know, a part of the mystery of the other side that I don't know that we're ever going to know completely here. All I can do is conjecture and say, I agree with you. The uh, God seems to be the ultimate, the epitome, and yet God is seems to be the collective, the all, the one. It seems that that we are, while we're a part of, even unified with God, we're still our own individual selves. We need to grow individually. We can certainly grow and evolve. And and people understand that when they have a near-death experience. So I think it's like we we all have that individuality and yet that unity and in a way that is difficult for me to understand, even after I've read so many near-death experiences (laughs) that describe it. But I think that that's part of the, the greater picture. Uh, ultimately, it comes out as an act of love. It's a love to create an environment where we can grow uh, and, and literally be more a part of God than if we didn't have these experiences on earth and grow and, and learn some lessons that were simply unlearnable in any other way. And I, I cannot help but ask this question because curiosity always gets the best of me. Let's talk about hell. <laughs> have you come mm-hmm. across some near-death experiences where people were in hell, you're like, oh my God, that, that, and it kind of made you get a little creepy and chilled to the bone about this. Are there any particular near-death <laughs> experiences that uh, really stand out in your mind? Or is it like, oh, well, well I guess you shouldn't, pro- you should probably not do that. You should probably not engage yep. in that activity. No, it's, it's perfectly okay. About one or 2% of near-death experiences describe either an awareness, often at a distance or apart from them, of a hellish realm or somewhat less than half of that one or two percent where they're actually involved or in a hellish realm Um, when they're in a hellish realm the majority of the time they seem to be able to call out to god or or someone in heaven please get me out of here and they're out and they can go out so uh, as best i can tell from a number of, of descriptions of hell what i believe is going on here is that you can choose to go to and stay in heaven. That seems to be a choice. On the other hand, uh, especially malevolent spirits, uh, think Hitler, for example, they may simply be more comfortable by choice in the afterlife to live among those that are like them. And these 
uh, find themselves more comfortable in a hellish realm where there's other hellish, uh, highly evil, malevolent spirits. I think any spirit in hell has the ability to choose to leave hell, but they choose not to because it's just so familiar, comfortable, and they're around in an environment that is who they are, which is, if you will, a form of, of deep, profound spiritual sickness. But I think it's, the afterlife, as best I can tell, is based on choice. You have a choice of what to do. You have a choice to come to earth. And you have the choice to make some profoundly bad decisions in the afterlife, just like you do on earth. And that can be the consequence. I don't, but I don't think there's any near-death experience or researcher, myself included, that believes in a permanent involuntary hell. Well, the spirits that are in hell... Is hell something that is there for eternity, or is that just only existing for as long as people wish to go there and wish to deserve there? So let's say, for example, all the spirits like, yeah, you know, we're done with hell, we're going to move on. Would it cease to exist, or does that place just exist primarily only because souls wish to create a place for themselves? Yeah, I think that's the, the like attracts like. So I think these are people that want to be a part of that evil realm. They just can't let go of the evil that they maybe even learned on earth. And they just want to be a part. It's just so important. It's so wrapped up in their identity that that's who they are, what they are. And they don't want to be in a realm of overwhelming peace and love. And may I add in the uh, heavenly blissful realm, which virtually everyone describes, you're known. You're known for who you are, are all you are. You can't hide. You can't pretend that you're something different from what you really are. You can just imagine an evil person like Hitler instantly being known in a blissful heavenly realm for all that they are and the dark soul that they are. So I think you can, with that example, help understand how they would say, hey, even in an afterlife, I want to be a part of this evil, malevolent realm and, and perhaps even strive as a group of us to to take over or something because, I mean, they just haven't let go of the... Uh, evil characteristics. I don't know that they're fated to be there for eternity. I've been extremely impressed how God, the one, the all, is overwhelming, loving, compassionate, and embracing. I think if even the darkest of souls were willing to, to use the term, repent, turn around, and you know, go out into the heavenly realms, they'd be known for who they are, um, they would have that choice. Okay. And I wanted to share something with you in the audience is that I'm cranky and sometimes I like to, you know, to eat a couple donuts and <laughs> and bring this to your attention because <laughs> this is like, it's, it's my body. I think it's my body. I think I'm cranky because, you know, I probably don't get enough sleep and I like to eat donuts because my body's like, yeah, you know, I need some sugar. But yet when I die and I don't have the body telling me this, I'm not going to probably have those cravings anymore. So I'll be, I'll be different. My soul will be different. I will, I won't have the influence of the body on there. So, I'm talking about yeah. the wickedness of a soul. What is the comparable difference between a soul that is genuinely good or genuinely evil without the absence of the body? How do we know how much of an impact our body's having on our behavioral? And if our body is desiring to do something and we lack the will to overcome the desires of the body, does that necessarily mean that we have a wicked soul or we're going to go someplace evil afterwards? Oh, oh I don't think so. No, I mean... You know, good gosh, uh, Ryan, I've been known to eat a few donuts myself, <laughs> and, and I, I'm not I'm not at all concerned about going to hell. So I think 
you know, we all have, we're biological beings here. We, we crave sugar, we crave food, water. Uh, I mean, there's just certain things that are, are biological imperatives here in our earthly life. I think you know, that's not uh, unusual. But when you don't have a body, uh, certainly you, you lose those cravings. Uh, there's nothing, you don't have a physical body that requires sugar, that requires water, um, requires sleep, interestingly. So I think in the, in the afterlife, you're, you're really letting go of a lot of those limitations of earthly life, feeling pain, uh, feeling loss. I mean, a lot of the, the emotional baggage we deal with on earth just isn't a problem on the other life. All the, your loved ones that you've lost all your life, they're there with you and at all times. So I think, it's, uh, uh, I think a truly evil person is somebody that, I mean, you'd have to almost like work at it on the afterlife. You'd yeah. have to really, you know, make a whole series of very bad choices and, um, you know, and or just simply have that innate desire to harm or do evil to other people in spite of being around in a realm where that's just not, you don't seem to gain anything. It just seems to be so different from everybody else. It's a, I mean, it's really a very profound spiritual sickness, I think, to choose to be evil in a realm that you, is in, where you're enveloped in love. Jeez, I, I could agree. That's really wild. You have to really work at it. When people, yeah. in any of their cases that you've come across, has anyone ever recalled seeing a physical being from another planet? Because here we are, planet Earth. We are in a universe with billions or untold number of planets. I'm sure many of them have life. I'm sure that human beings are not the only life form on Earth. Well, life form in the galaxy, just like we're not the same only life form on Earth. So do any of these near-death experiences and their accounts give us a glimpse that there are other life forms within the universe, that they've come across other beings, or they've come across yeah. acknowledgement? Okay. Absolutely. We had, um, in, in near-death experiences, they're often with other beings uh, that are a part of that unearthly realm. We had one very dramatic near-death experience where they were literally away from Earth, which is fairly common, and, and visualizing the universe. And this person who was having the near-death experience requested of the person with them, I want to see life on another planet. I want to see another planet somewhere in the universe where life is more evolved than it is on Earth and life where it is less involved. And remarkably, he was then taken to a planet far from Earth where there was a vastly more technologically advanced society. And he was able to observe that uh, in great detail, what it was like at that point in time. And then he went and saw a planet where life was much less evolved than it is on Earth. And he described some hunters going after wild animals uh, for game that he was observed in a hunt. Uh, in a very primitive, you know, think Stone Age type environment was what he was seeing there. So while these experiences are rare like that, there's certainly significant evidence in near-death experiences that in the universe today, we're not alone. There's life on the other planet. We just haven't contacted them yet. Uh, I cannot wait to come in contact with other beings. That I, cause I, I, don't know, I just think, Dr. Long, I think most humans are kind of born. I, I find that, you know, I love the work that you do. I love the work that other people do where they're actually, like, searching. But I think most people are kind of on their own to the same stuff. So I think we need, like, a little, some, you know, extraterrestrials to, to hang out with to broaden our horizons. Uh, <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, yeah. what we could learn. I mean, yes. what we, I mean, the implications of it all, that we're it's not terrific. alone, that there's, 
you know, oh, I mean, the, the implications for the, the implication. Well, that would be, and and many people perceive that the the proof of life on other planets would be considered the greatest scientific discovery in human history, bar none. So we'll uh, hopefully that'll happen in our lives if it's going to happen. So, Dr. Long, you wrote a book in 2017, another best-selling book called "God and the Afterlife: The Groundbreaking New Evidence for God and Near-Death Experience," and talk a lot of people talking about saying you have a lot of evidence that God is real. So based on the accounts of the people you've interviewed, what is God like? Is Does God have a good personality? Uh, does God have a sense of humor? <laughs> does God you know, support any particular candidates for office? Uh, I don't know. What's God, what's, oh, what's God like? Oh, there are, there are <laughs> yeah, there, there's so many ways I could stir up controversy here, but I won't. I'll but, tell go you right ahead. Speak your mind, speak your uh, truth. It's all good. Yeah, I won't won't bring my personal political views <laughs> into this, but I will tell you what the evidence shows. I, as a scientist and as a researcher, I've I've noted that what is real is consistently observed. That's a basic premise that has guided science and medical research for literally for millennia. And we see the same thing in near death experiences. A, a about forty five percent of people describe that they are aware during their experience of some, and again, God is a human word, and, and over and over again, they say that that is limiting and doesn't really describe the totality of what they, they saw. So first of all, what they're encountering is generally not described in, in human senses. They say it's just far beyond that. But when they do describe it, it's, it's like we've alluded to a little bit previously in this discussion, it's it's a overwhelmingly knowledgeable, compassionate, uh, loving, if you will. Um, you, the emotions are are off the scale positive in the presence of this being. It may be described. It is described in variable ways. This is not a physical being. This God so certainly has the ability to create an appearance in anything: light, amorphous light, a sense of a presence, uh, any kind of humanoid or non-humanoid type focal being, uh, all of these are just basically manifestations of the, the totality, the all, the God that people describe. And fortunately, over and over we hear how when they encounter God, they feel accepted for who they are, all that they are, and everything that they are. So they essentially never, thank goodness, feel a sense of judgment when you're in the presence of this, so you can eat donuts, you're okay. Awesome. And, uh, it, <laughs> and it's, uh, um, it's just, they, you know, the, it's a very vivid, dramatic part of having a near-death experience, but in the recent, most recent version of the survey, I'm astounded to find that about 45% of people become aware of this entity that, for lack of a better term, is called God. And the accounts, like a, just some examples of which I've given you, are just some of the most awesome things that people describe in near-death experiences. We are in the afterlife. We are going to be very, very comfortable, happy, secure to have God around. I can tell you that right now. I don't know. I I don't know. I have to learn. I, I probably when I when I see God, I'm probably going to say things that are, that are going to be very provocative. I'm probably going to go right to hell for us. I'll be I'll see God and then go the good <laughs> hell come back. Cause I don't know. Oh, people, gosh, Ryan, people ask God and, and spiritual beings all sorts of very piercing questions all the time. You are not alone. By the way, I would do the same thing, and that's where it gets very interesting. They ask a lot about 
you know, earthly issues. Why is earth life so difficult? What about, you know, and just ask, it's just amazing the kind of questions people ask of God and, and other beings in, on the afterlife, which you know, may well be a manifestation of God, and they get answers that are remarkably consistent. And that's where it gets so exciting to study near-death experience. Over and over, as you read more near-death experiences, the reality shines through with the important messages, not just for the near-death experiencer, but I'm convinced for all of us worldwide. Are there any particular types of lessons or things that hum humans don't get? Do they ever come back to you and say, look, you know, human beings do this when the reality is that if they did, they, they did this, they'd feel a lot better. I'll give one example. Dr. Stephen Sinatra co-wrote a book with a gentleman who had a near-death experience and he said one of the things you should do every day is grounding where you put your feet on the ground and, you, and the earth will absorb your energy he was adamant about that he, he always he always tells me that every time i talk to him so are there any particular uh, common lessons that people from the uh, you talk with? yeah that yeah that that's a great question over and over near the end of a near-death experience they may be told you have more to do on earth you're not your work is not finished yet and so an excellent question would be, okay, are there any directions, guidance from specific activities on the other side as to what that person having the near-death experience could, should be doing on Earth? And the answer is almost never is there specific direction about what they should do when they return to Earth. And that's very frustrating uh, often to people that have near-death experiences. They say, I know I was told I have more to do. Well, what is that? I mean, I'm, here I am living my earthly life. So... Again, I think it gets back to that level of choice. The other side isn't really telling us to go do a particular vocation, to be with a particular person in a relationship. It all sort of has to do with the understanding that uh, the, the ruling force of the universe is love, that there is that afterlife, uh, that there is that knowledge and awareness in the afterlife. It's far beyond what we have here on our earthly life. And I think about all you can do is, is say you have the confidence and sort of the reassurance that you need to come here and just do your best job with the information you have. But no, that, I have almost never heard of, of anybody being told, go be a teacher, go do this, go do that, in the afterlife and coming back. So that's uh, where, I, gosh, Ryan, I'm afraid we're kind of on our own here. We Jeez. have to make the decisions with the best we can with uh, from all our... Uh, all that we are and all our uh, experience and knowledge and, and hopes for the future. It's not really strange. I, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to someone who said, well, they had the choice to like, oh, you can you can stay in heaven, you can go back. And like I, I four people like, well, I wanted to stay. And they got sent back anyway. So they came out saying, oh, it's a choice. I'm like, that's not a choice. You know it's not a choice. Yeah. It's like, you know, if they, yeah, tell, yeah. You, if they tell you have a choice, you, you could say you're going to go back. It's like, well, if, they, if they're saying you have a choice, then you just, you're probably going to go back there. Don't even like pretend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's a good point. Near-death experiences, the significant majority of the time, it's not like they sit there with beings and they're told you have a choice. The significant majority of the time, boom, you get sent back, no discussion, no debate, no involvement in any kind of dialogue about that, that important decision. However, among those, the minority, significant minority of near-death experiences where a decision is involved where there's beings and they're sort of asking them, do you want to go back or what's your choice? At that moment, the great majority of people that are having near, having near-death experiences do not want to leave that unearthly, heavenly realm where they're feeling overwhelming love and peace. They do not want to return to their earthly body, 
which, Ryan, it's amazing. Everything that they knew up until their near-death experience, friends, family, loved ones, everything that was familiar was their earthly life. And yet, that's how profound this sense is in the afterlife that they don't want to come back. And that's, and that's difficult, by the way, to explain to a spouse, uh, for, to your children, that you, you were given a choice and did not want to come back. And people that have near-death experiences wrestle with that. That's tough. And yet all I can say is the, the great, actually probably overwhelming majority of people really make that same decision. I mean, they just don't want to leave that unearthly, beautiful, heavenly realm. That's how powerful it is. And that, that's about as powerful a statement for how awesome the afterlife is that I can imagine, just people's choice like that. Dr. Jeffrey Long. I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Again, Dr. Jeffrey Long is founder of the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. You can learn more about him by going to his website at nderf.com. You can also check out some of his amazing books, God and the Afterlife, the Groundbreaking New Evidence for God and Near-Death Experience. You can also check out his other book called Evidence of the Afterlife. I read both these books. are phenomenal. Dr. Long, great pleasure to have you with us. Thank you for stopping by and sharing your wisdom. Oh, great talk. Always appreciate it, Ryan. Thank you so much. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits of the Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our terrific guest, Dr. Jeffrey Long. And special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Ms. Carrie O'Connor, Ms. Constance Tellis, and Ms. Lisa McGarity, as well as our associate producer, Sandy Lamisa. To learn more about the Out of Limits of the Truth, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. And until the next time we meet, my friends. I wish upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Take good care, and thank you so much for listening. Want to be heard or seen in front of millions of people? Want to be an expert on TV or radio? Goldman McCormick PR is a New York City-based public relations agency that specializes in traditional and social media placement for law, finance, media, and corporate-based clients. Goldman McCormick PR also are specialists in website development, radio show creation, press conferences, media training, and so much more. Check out GoldmanMcCormick.com for more information. GoldmanMcCormick.com.